Okay, we're working through the Westminster Confession of Faith, and the works of God are two, the work of creation and the work of providence. The Westminster divines, follow, following Scripture, they like to break things down in two. Why? Because God structures things in a binary way. Heaven and earth, good and evil, life, death, the creator, the creature. And they, reflecting on Scripture, will say there's two things God does. One, he created, and the second are his acts of providence. So we're doing of providence. Well, what is providence? The first paragraph says, God, the great creator of all things, doth uphold, direct, dispose, and govern all creatures, actions, and things, from the greatest even to the least, by his most wise and holy providence, according to his infallible foreknowledge and the free and immutable counsel of his own will, to the praise of the glory of his wisdom, power, justice, goodness, and mercy. Now, I can already see the committee work going on behind that. We can't leave this out. We've got to put this in and frame, framing that great language. Well, let's work through this. It's a busier slide than I normally do. But it begins by saying, what's the nature of providence? Well, it's that God preserves, he upholds things, he governs them, and he rules over them. That's the first statement. That's the opening line. He, of all things, doth uphold, direct, dispose, and govern. Now, what what do we mean when we say God preserves? Well, what we mean is that uh, God himself is the only creature who is self-sufficient, who is self-existent. And it is not the case that when God created all things, that those things had an independent existence. The universe, you, me, the galaxies, always have a derived existence. Uh, Only the supreme being possesses being. The rest of us get our being from his being. And so all being is derived by the supreme being. Only God has self-existence. Now, you think of some scripture verses. You are the Lord, you alone. You made heavens, the heavens and the earth, with all their hosts and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them, and you preserve all of them, and the host of heaven worships you. The scriptures often speak of a present tense by which one of the things God is doing providentially is he's causing things to continue to exist. Uh uh, he is the. This is a Hebrews uh, one three speaking about the Lord Jesus. He is the radiance of the glory of God, and the exact imprint of His nature, and upholds the universe by the word of His power. So that language is very biblical. That God providentially He made all things. Now, of course, Christianity is completely opposed to deism. Deism is is a blind watch clockmaker. God made it, he wound it up, he walked away. Scripture couldn't teach anything more different than that. He actually sustains its being. One thing to realize is that we ourselves, the, the, the earth, everything, maintains its being and its order, of course. You have the flow of the seasons. You have the gravitational forces, the laws of nature. God actively, by his will, upholds them. But then, and I think maybe what we normally mean when we speak of providence is that God disposes. He directs and disposes them. Now, this is proved, of course, by fulfilled prophecy, that God is actively working in the world so that his will is done. You think of that great verse, Ephesians 1.11, 
All things, all things come by the, according to the will of him who works all things. Notice the present. He works all things by the counsel of his will. I love Jeremiah 1.12 where God says, I am watching over my word to fulfill it. So why does the, why does the things the Bible says, why do they come true? Why, how did prophecies come true? Because God is minutely overseeing them to ensure that they happen. And so all things are directed and disposed towards the ends which God designed. God is at work in the world. Gerhardus uh, Voss says this, Every individual has only to look at his own life history to discern that there was a higher hand that governed it. Now, uh, it's, it's fascinating to me, even in... Uh, other religions, they, have, they reflect the fact that we know that there's something going on. You think of uh, uh, Eastern mysticism where they have, or, or you think of, I think, the Norse religions where the, the spinners, the women sit at the root of the tree of life and they spin the destinies of individuals. You're going, well, that's not true. But isn't it interesting that you believe that things aren't randomly happening? You believe there's a pattern. We all know that there is a higher purpose governing our lives. Uh, God is directing and disposing all things towards his own end. So, Psalm 135.6 says, Whatever the Lord pleases, he does in heaven and on earth, in the seas and all deeps. And so God not only ordained it, you know, a previous chapter was on the decree of God, and, but he also superintends it to ensure that it's going to happen. Now, that's greatly comforting, isn't it, when it comes to the promises of God? Because we're, we're kind of relying on them being true. I personally confess to you, I'm rather counting on God's promises to me coming true. Uh, how do we know they're going to come true? Because God is directing and disposing all things. How do I know that Jesus Christ is going to return? Well, because the Bible tells me so. And because God himself is orchestrating all the details necessary for that to happen. He will supply the power. He's orchestrating the circumstances. He is ensuring that his word is fulfilled. What a great comfort it is for the Christian. Uh, and it, it does mean, this is why I, later on I have Romans 8.28, all things work for the good of those who love God. Not all things are good. But God is superintending all things, even things that are not good, to fulfill his promises, to glorify him, to cause his word to come true. Uh, what a comfort it is to know that you and I are not in the hands of chance. We are not at the grip of evil ultimate powers or even a, a dualistic combat between good and evil. No, even the worst things that can happen to me and bad things can happen to us. But we know, uh, as Joseph said, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. That God is superintending all things and his word will be fulfilled. All the things that were prophesied have come true and will come true because he's disposing and, and governing all things. Now, thirdly, we mean that God rules them all. The Lord actively rules over the heavens and the earth. I've been enjoying Jeff Early's Habakkuk sermons on, on Sunday nights when he preaches. And uh, the final verse of his passage was, The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. 
God is on the throne. His kingdom is reigning. Our Lord Jesus Christ is interceding for us with the Heavenly Father. And that is the seat of, of, where, of, 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 of the will of God and the destinies of men and nations and all things. And God's law, because he is the king. You know, it's funny, I, I feel bad for Arminians, people who deny the sovereignty of God because they're not willing to yield the implications and the Bible teaches those implications. But you, I've actually had it argued to me before that God's only hypothetically on his throne. Now, of course, we know God's, you know, he's a sovereign, but he steps off his throne. And I'm like, do you realize if he did that, first of all, the universe would collapse into nothing? Uh, thank God that he remains on his throne. He is ruling over his kingdom. And so providence is God actively preserving and upholding all things. He's directing and disposing of them all, and he is ruling. Now, what is the extent of God's providence? Well, the confession says it is a universal extent. Can you see that? Yeah, not too bad. Is that bad? Is that too small? Uh, I'll do better next week. You know, I got a lot to put on there. This is after I, Nate, Nate has been on my back. Actually, I've been very good in this series. In pre, he's been telling me my slides are too busy. So my history ones were not that busy, but I, I, I admit I regressed this week. But all creatures, actions, and things from the greatest even to the least. So what's the extent of God's providence? Everything. All creatures, all actions, all things from the greatest to the least. Just some biblical categories. God's providence rules all nations. I admit it's kind of hard for me to see too. But, uh, <laughs> sorry. He makes nations great and he destroys them. He enlarges nations and leads them away. And so God, the whole history of the, of the, of the world, has had God raise up nations for his purposes and then to bring them back down for his purposes. Um, you think of Paul's great statement in Acts 17. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. So God determined their, when they would start, when they would end, where they would be, how far they would go. God determined the fate of all nations. All families, Psalm 68, 6, God settles the solitary in a home. He leads out the prisoners to prosperity, and the rebellious dwell in a parched land. So God is providentially ruling over our families. All individuals, in him we live and move and have our being, Paul said in, in, in Athens. And then uh, you think of Job 14.5. A number of, the Bible says this many times, since his days are determined and the number of his months is with you, and you have appointed the limits that he cannot pass. The day of my death is as fixed in the will of God, the providence of God, as the day of my birth. And you think of the great statement that's in the movie God, God's in General, but it's a historical statement. On the battlefield of First Manassas, one of, the, one of his aides de camp asked that great Christian, Stonewall Jackson, why uh, he was not afraid on the battlefield. And Jackson said, God has appointed the days of my life. I am as safe on the battlefield as I am lying in my bed. And it gives us courage to face our days. That I, Look, I, unless Jesus comes back, I am going to die. That is a sobering thought. And the older you get, the more sobering it would be. You know, I, as a pastor, I do death. And I'm around the bodies of people who died you know, now and again. And 
I, I never look at, at the body of someone who's died without saying to myself, Rick, that will be you soon. And I think of Solomon saying, teach me wisdom. Let me number my days. But we live without fear because God, that doesn't produce recklessness. The sovereignty of God never promotes irresponsibility. But God has appointed in advance all the days of my life. I think of, uh, I had the great privilege in the last days of James Montgomery Boyce. He got his cancer diagnosis. He died six months, six weeks after his cancer diagnosis. And he asked me to help him to get work done because he had projects he wanted to do. And so I would go over, not every day, but now and again, I'd go over and I'd say, we're going to work on this today. And every time I saw him because of the advance of the cancer, he was remarkably diminished from the previous time, usually the previous day. And it was fascinating to me. I knew every day when he put his head on his pillow, he knew that he was going to wake up with a, with a remarkably lower intellectual capacity. He was, going to be, he was going to be awake less. He was going to be weaker every day. And I, I, I tell you, I never saw him frustrated because he knew it was from the Lord. And we finally got to the day. We didn't get it all done. You know, I'm kind of a can-do person. You may have known that about me. It was probably why he asked me to do it. And I remember going to him and saying, Jim, uh, look, I know we're, you know, we only have about two hours of work today, but each day, but we've got a few things. I, I, I know you want me to help you get these done. And, and he looked at me and said, uh, Rick, I can't do any more work. I don't, I, my mind's not clear. I'm too tired. Uh, and so being the knucklehead that I am, I said, ah, come on, fire it up. Suck it up. I, I didn't say suck it up, but it, was, it, it, it came from the same place that me saying that to my children comes from. And, uh, and he said, no, I lay down my work. And I remember saying to him, what about the things that you had loose ends on? He goes, I place all my loose ends in the hands of my sovereign Jesus Christ. And he and I prayed together. What a great privilege for me. And his, he committed his life's work into the Lord's hand. The Lord had appoint, The Lord's appointed how much work you're going to do. He's appointed what accomplishments you're going to have. He's, he's, a, he's appointed everything for our lives. And it ought to give us a, a freedom and zeal without the idolatry of it, without you know, and needing to justify ourselves by our accomplishments. I think many of us suffer from that. Uh, our days are determined. My life has been determined by God. It could be tonight. And I, I can live without fear of that because I know he's in charge. And then finally, all things. And you know, I love to quote uh, Matthew 10, 20, Mark 10, 29, or Matthew 10, 29, where Jesus says, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny, yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from the will of your father. The most inconsequential event you can think of, Jesus said God was 100% sovereign over that. In fact, no hair falls from your head without God knowing it. So God's providence has, a, has an, a universal extent. Nothing lies outside his providence. So that, now there's a better slide. Uh, still, We're still on paragraph one. Well, what is the basis of God's providence? We've seen what it is that he upholds, he directs, he disposes, he governs. The, all things, all persons, all events, all nations, all families... But what's the basis of it? It's his own wise and holy providence according to his infallible knowledge and the free and immutable counsel of his own will. And so providence is governed by God's own holy wisdom. Now this means that you and I should not be surprised if we can't figure out what's going on. Now often there are big patterns of things and so you come to me, I can say, well, it seems to me that God is likely doing this in your trial. At least here's how the Bible usually tends to grit this out. 
He's strengthening your faith. He's giving you an opportunity to witness. Is there some major sin you need to repent of? If so, I recommend you do. Um, but often we have no, I have no, I have no answer. Why is this happening? But who has known the mind of the Lord and who has been his counselor, says Paul in Romans eleven thirty four. God has a wisdom. Oh, the foolishness of God is wiser than the wisdom of men. And there is a wisdom in heaven. We will be able to see this clearer. And we will look back on the things that perplex us now, all the why questions, and we will praise and we'll go, why will become wow. Where's Brendan? That's a Facebookable quote. You know, Brendan is the one who puts my quotes on Facebook. So people say to me, that was a really good quote today. I'm like, what did I say? Uh, Brendan quoted it. Uh, but uh, there's a good one. The wise will become wows in heaven. Uh, that's the truth. Uh, but according to his own wisdom, by means of his eternal knowledge of all things. And one of my favorite quotes from Second Chronicles is uh, what the prophet said to Asa. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth that he might give strong support to those whose hearts are blameless towards him. God sees everything. He knows that he's orchestrating it all. There's no speck of data outside of his equation. Uh, Known to God are all his works from the beginning of the world. And so God knows all things and he knows them eternally. And they are in keeping with his eternal, unchangeable decree. Uh, I've been using Ephesians 1.11 a lot, so I'm using Psalm 33.11. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations. And so God has his eternal decree, and then what he decreed is happening in all its minute detail until the ends of the generations. Lastly, what is the end of God's providence? Well, it's to the praise of of the glory of his wisdom, power, justice, goodness, and mercy. And so the biblical perspective, and this is very, well, this was hugely the Puritan perspective, was all things are to the glory of God. You know, the chief end, what is the chief end of man? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. But what does that mean? That, that the perfections of the glories of all of his attributes would be displayed. And they choose some here that are most representative, his wisdom. And so providence is showing the wisdom of God. And along the way, people are blaming God. And and people are saying, well, why is God doing that? At the end, we're going to praise him for his wisdom. He's going to show his power. He's going to show justice, Jeremiah, will prevail in the end perfectly, which is bad news for us apart from Jesus Christ. And one of the great, one thing that I love about the justice of God is since I've been justified through faith in Christ, the justice of God demands my acquittal because my debt has all been paid for and I'm, I'm clothed in the righteousness of Christ. All history will display his justice, his goodness, his mercy. And so you think of some verses here. I love Ephesians 3.10. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Paul is saying, your salvation, your redemption, and all the the details of that are one of the purposes is so that the angels, including the fallen angels, but also mainly the holy angels, will marvel at the wisdom of God. 
in how the manner by which he saved you. Now, of course, that's chiefly in the gospel. The, the gospel contains that marvelous wisdom that he would send his son to die on the cross in our place. What a thing, again, what a thing that is to the angels. You think of the angels watching Jesus being crucified and, and, and what they must have been going through. It's hard to see them being perplexed, but Peter says, even angels long to look into these things. Beyond their comprehension, God is displaying before heaven the glory of his wisdom in your redemption. Um, For this purpose I raise you, this is what God said, this is Romans 9, quoting what God said to Pharaoh in Exodus. For this purpose I raise you up that I might show my power in you, that my name might be proclaimed to all the earth. And so by the destruction of Egypt and of Pharaoh personally, God was displaying his power. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness, shall sing aloud of your righteousness. History, providence, will display the perfections of all the glories of God. And dare I say, as we look at our own country tonight, and we think of the issues at stake, if America should not repent of its gross and heinous sins, God will glorify himself in his power and his justice in our condemnation. And the Christian can only say what Jeremiah said, amen, so let it be, amen. We, we do what we can to stop it, but if it happens, I think of what Augustine said when they told him Rome had fallen. He said, Rome is evil, praise the Lord. And he loved Rome. Rome was, he was a loyal Roman. Uh, providence glorifies the wisdom, power, justice, goodness, and mercy of God. Well, second of all, the confession notes that God's providence makes use of means, secondary causes. Although in, This is the second paragraph. Although in relation to the foreknowledge and decree of God, which is the first cause, the first cause, the ultimate cause of all things, is the will of God expressed in the eternal decree, And therefore, all things come to pass immutably and infallibly. Yet, by the same providence, he orders them to fall out according to the nature of second causes, either necessarily, freely, or contingently. And so there are means that God establishes. Uh, What are some of the issues? Well, God's decree is infallibly carried out. One of my favorite verses of this is Isaiah 46.10. I am God, there is none like me. I declare the end from the beginning. From ancient times, things not yet done. I say my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all that I purpose. There's the eternal decree, infallibly and immutably accomplished. But he ordinarily brings them about by secondary causes. Oh, I I left a bullet there from a previous slide. Ignore the male and female. That's from my creation slide. Um, you know, one of the great statements is when Peter's explaining the crucifixion of Jesus in his, in his Pentecost sermon. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. There's the first cause. The ultimate cause was the, the, the first and ultimate cause of the crucifixion of Jesus was the decree of God. But then Peter also mentions a secondary cause, the means you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. And so God accomplishes decree by means, ordinarily. I think of uh, Romans 10, talking about the spread of the gospel. How then will they call on him in whom they've not believed? Or how are they to believe in, of him in whom they've never heard? 
And how are they to hear without someone preaching? How are they to preach unless they are sent? And so God accomplishes his providence by ordinary means. Now, therefore, providence does not either rule out or eliminate human freedom or responsibility. I think of the great statement of Joshua 24, 15, choose this day whom you will serve, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And our Arminian friends go, ha, 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 therefore God's not sovereign. And we go, we embrace that verse as much as you do. But it does not rule out the sovereignty of God. God, and he employs all the secondary means, the preaching of the word by Joshua, the, the, the decisions that are made either to faith or unbelief in the lives of the people. All these secondary causes are encompassed under God's providence. Uh, Donald McLeod says, God foreordains their actions, but he foreordains them as free actions, as things they do of their own personal volition. And so we maintain, now how do we do this? Well, because the Bible teaches them both. Uh, We maintain the absolute sovereignty of God in his providence, as in his eternal predestination, and the volitional nature of everything we do. We're not puppets. My favorite example is Jesus Christ. Jesus' life was not only predestined, it was largely pre-recorded. I mean, and he's fulfilling the prophecy. It's the letter of, of, of the word. Are you going to say that Jesus is a puppet? No, he's the freest of all men. God sovereignly ordains the first and the second cause. Now, thirdly, providence, however, is not dependent on means. God in his ordinary, it's a short paragraph. God in his ordinary providence makes use of means, yet he is free to work without, above, and against them at his pleasure. So there are times when the Lord does things without any means. I would say the, the parting of the Red Sea. You know, you can come up with your theory, well, this wind, come, no, no, God just did it. Just did. Think of the miracles of Jesus. I have lifted here the, the calming of the seas. By his will, he said it and it was. He rebuked the wind and the waves, peace be still, and the wind ceased and there was a great calm. There is no, there's no reason to believe there's any means. That's, that's him operating without means. He just does. Now, that's a great comfort to us. Because and when we pray, we never forget that. You take our friend Jeff Wint. You know, we've been praying. And in fact, Sharon and I are going to uh, go see Jeff and Mariah tomorrow. They were over at our house for a certain football game Saturday, which was a really good time by all of, for all of us. It just happens that I'm wearing blue and yellow tonight. And I wore a... It just happens that I wore blue and yellow Sunday. But um, but we didn't have a chance to talk about it. We were too busy jumping up and down and acting like lunatics, which is great. Uh, but tomorrow we're going to go. We're going to hear all the details about, and, and by the way, they're very upbeat. So I don't have all the details, but I'm going to get them tomorrow, and they're super encouraged. Thank you so much for your financial support, your help watching their kids. You have been the means that God has used towards many blessings to them. Um, but I also pray for the Lord to work without means. And, our, you know, and I, I, I have, I mean, as I've said to Jeff, it, it has not pleased the Lord yet to answer the prayer that we're actually asking, that he would just restore you completely. And it would take a miracle, a providence without known means. You know, all the medical people are going, you know. But we pray for that. And why, why, the Lord may do that. He also works above means. 
Now, that means where he does something, and it, it normally doesn't work that way. <laughs> uh, 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 the, the virgin birth of Mary, of Jesus, is one. He's using means, but not really. And it's above, that, above means. Uh, or, you know, Sarah's uh, uh, pregnancy at age 90. I use here the example of the, of, the, of, the, of the loaves and fishes. Jesus took the loaves. When he'd given thanks, he distributed to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told the disciples, go gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So there's Jesus using means. He prays over the loaves and fishes. He has them distribute them. And then he has them collect them. Now here's above means. And they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with the fragments from the barley loaves left by those who had eaten. How wonderful it is that the Lord does supernatural things that are just categorically supernatural. And uh, there are means involved. There's a method to it. You know, my whole work relies on this because every conversion is above, is above the normal means. It requires a supernatural intervention. I'm not actually able to persuade anyone to believe in Jesus because of their total depravity. But God does more than we ask or imagine. He supernaturally involves in an open way. He also works against means. He causes nature to go backwards. Uh, I use here, this is the 2 Kings 6, 6, when uh, uh, Joshua caused the axe head, to, or Elisha causes the axe head to float. When he showed him the place, he cut off a stick and threw it in there and made the iron float. That don't normally happen that way. He cuts off a piece of wood, throws it, in the, I'm not sure why he throws a piece of wood in, but he does. And the axe head floats. That's God. So God is not dependent on natural means. He can work without, above, and against them. And you knew they were going to have a paragraph about this. He is not the author of sin. Although he disposes all things, the almighty power, unsearchable wisdom, and infinite goodness of God so far manifest themselves in his providence that it extends even to the first fall and all other sins of angels and men, and look how, look how bold they are. But they're following the scriptures. We've got to be this way. And not by bare permission. It will not do to say, well, God, just let it happen. Well, y'all, when you are sovereign, almighty, all-present, and all-knowing, you permitting something is the same as you doing something. So we're not going to try to get God off the hook by saying, well, God didn't will it. No, God did will it. That's what they're saying. It's his decree. Not just bare permission, but such has, as has joined with it a most wise and powerful binding and otherwise ordering and governing of them in a manifold dispensation to his own holy ends. Yet, so as the sinfulness thereof proceeds only from the creature and not from God, who being most holy and righteous, neither is or can be the author or approver of sin. So what, what that's saying is, the first fall, and all sins that have been subsequent to it. We're not only permitted by God, but we're sovereignly willed by God, but in such a way that he is not the author of sin. The sin does not proceed from him or from the creature. Now you go, where do you get that from? Well, from the Bible. That's where we get it. He cannot be sovereign over all things and not over sin. And so man fell into sin by God's will and providence. I think of the last, this is the last line in Paul's gospel argument before he gets to the doxology at the end of Romans 11. For from him and through him and to him, that's stuff. And he says this, for God has consigned all to disobedience that he may have mercy on all. 
Romans 11.32. What's Paul saying? God decreed the fall. God decreed that the only way you could be saved is as a sinner. And you could only be saved as a sinner by grace alone. Why did he do that? For the praise of his mercy and his grace. God ordained, he has cons- when he says God has consigned them, he means he has ordained them to disobedience that he may have mercy on them. Uh, and God has a good and gracious purpose through sin, through the fall. I think of Ephesians 1, 5 to 6. Again, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. The big reason, the good and holy and glorious reason God ordained, he decreed the fall, is so that his son would be glorified as redeemer and the the head of his church, that God in his mercy and grace would be known and displayed as could not otherwise have been. And so here's the the formula. God sinlessly employs sin, and he does it to holy ends. God employs sin, but he does so sinlessly. Now, someone like me, who's an adult convert, can see how all kinds of things going in my life were conspiring to my conversion, and some of them were my sins. And I thank God that God was sinless, and it gives us hope, doesn't it? Because often, well, maybe you have a child who's walked away from the Lord, and, 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 and you're rightly distressed. But don't, don't, don't ever say there's no hope. Because God sinlessly employs sin to his good ends. And the great statement said of Joseph, As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as it is today. And so the sins of of Reuben and Judah and the rest of those rascals and betraying Joseph and throwing him into into the cistern and selling him to the Midianites, they did it. God meant it. God was orchestrating good and holy purposes. I don't know what else gives us hope in a world like ours. I really don't. Uh, Robert Shaw says this, God permits them sinful things. He limits them and he overrules them for the accomplishment of his own holy ends. And so, yes, God willed the fall. God willed. He is the first and original cause of everything, but he is not the proximate cause. He is not the one who did it. Uh, And how do we know that? God's not the author because of the the statements of Scripture. Here's James in James 1. Let no one say when he's tempted, I'm being tempted by God. What an important statement. God, we cannot say, remember Flip Wilson, anybody old enough? The devil made God. We can't say God made me do it. God did not make you do it. That's what James is saying. God did not make you do it. And God did not tempt you. He did not tempt you. Uh, God cannot be tempted with evil. He himself tempts no one. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is neither variation of shadow due to change. I think of 1 John 2.16, For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the will world. Now, I admit there's mystery there, but here's where we follow Calvin's handrails, right? We go where Scripture leads us, and we stop where it stops leading us. And we, 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 we believe the Word of God. Uh, he is sovereign over these things. They proceed from his eternal decree, He is not involved in evil. He sinlessly employs sins to glorious means. 
Now, I'm going to skip five and six. They're kind of subsets of that. And I'm going to conclude with providence and the church. Here's how the confession ends the chapter on providence. As the providence of God doth in general reach to all creatures, so after a most special manner it takes care of his church and disposes all things to the good thereof. There is a general, true providence of God over all things, but when it comes to his church, there's a special providence of God. I think of Zechariah 2.8, whoever touches you touches the apple of his eye. That was said to the uh, community that had come back from the Babylonian captivity. Uh, I love Hebrews 13.5-6, a great memory verse. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So God is with you. He is not forsaking you. You particularly. He is not forsaking you. He is with you. Therefore, we can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. What do you think it is to be able to say, God is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? And so God's special providence protects and builds up and saves his church. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who were called according to his purpose. That is not a trite statement. We're not, that's not putting a Christian happy face sticker on your brokenheartedness. You know, providence is not when we don't cry. In fact, my opinion is we probably all need to cry a little bit more than we normally do. Tears are a good thing. And, and the full emotional life. I, I, we do not have, oh, you're a Christian, therefore only be happy all the time. Oh, there are bad things. My spirits can be crushed. I have grieved deeply, and I probably will again. I, I pray now for him to protect me from them, but none of us are immune to it. But God works. He works the good things. He works the bad things for good. All things work together for the good of those who love God. And so God uses the trials of our lives as opportunities for us to do good, and he is orchestrating them for good. Now, again, I am not the person who has the divine revelation to tell you how this crushing tragedy you have or maybe I will or you will experience is God's providence by faith. That's why he says, and we know. And often we do not feel. We do not feel. And that's why even the prophets, I love Jeremiah's grouching, grousing. I mean, it's just so enheartening for this hardcore prophet. He's like the heart. Well, there's some, some others, but... Jeremiah is kind of the picture of your all-in old, and then he's mad at God, and he's frustrated, you know, he's complaining with him. That gives me great confidence. But we know that God, we don't feel it, but we know. Last week's sermon, first of all, Lord, I'm going to start out by saying you're right. Having said that, you're wrong. I know you're wrong. I just got to say it. Okay, you're right. Um, And I am sure that neither death, and here's the great providence, that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation. What's the greatest providence on which we rely? That nothing, he says, I'm persuaded it cannot separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. God's providence is seeing to his love at work in our lives. This is not something we earn. We never earn it. We receive it by grace through faith. What a thing it is to know that you believe in the Lord Jesus. And you can know that you believe in the Lord Jesus. I I do want to tell you, 
our, our mission to Main Street people will tell you, you pull the random person out of false park and say, do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and the Savior who died for your sins? And the average person says, either leave me alone or no. But for you to believe that, the only reason that you believe that Jesus is the Son of God and the Savior who died for your sins is because God gave you saving life. And, of course, that manifests itself beyond your profession of faith. But you believe in Jesus because he opened your heart. And that means part of the chain that's linked to that is by his providence, nothing can ever separate you, nothing, from God's love for you that's in his son. Father, we glorify you for your providence. We glorify the praise of your wisdom, power, justice, goodness, and mercy. And I pray, Lord, that these things coming out of the confession, but really coming from your word, they would help us to think your thoughts after you. We thank you for what Paul called, Lord, the form of sound words, a right construction of our beliefs. We thank you for the, 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 the treasure you've given us, the trust you've committed to us, and you say, guard the trust. And so I pray for the folks here, people watching online too, the families involved, that this heritage we have, we thank you for the godly men, the Westminster divines, and the care they gave in expressing these things, coming out of your word. And Father, may we carry on that trust, the deposit of sound faith. May we pass it on to others through our church and through our families. Thank you that these things, Lord, are true. You really are the Lord, and you love us, and nothing can separate us from your love. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.